Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 71 of my 16 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Hello, so first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one of episode number 71 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 23-year-old songwriter slash producer. But I'm also a huge 60 Music fan slash expert slash nerd. And uh, each week of this podcast, I take one song by one artist for the 60s and split the show into two parts. Uh, first part of the show, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks. And then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics. And the second part of the show, I dig, I dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part of the show, I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, what studio the song was recorded at, who are the musicians on the track, um, whether it be the session musicians or the band members, and... Uh, what, where the studio the song was recorded at was located at, and what uh, the, where the the label the song was released on was located at, and uh, what key position the song made up on the Billboard Hot 100 charts the year and month it was released, what label was released on, all that is in the second part of this show. Now, before we go on this week's episode of the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know a, a couple of quick things. Uh, first of all, uh, I didn't I neglected to tell you guys this when I did the Andy Paley uh, interview episode of my podcast, but. On the same day that I did the interview episode with Andy Paley, I went to this super cool, really interesting event in Hollywood that was totally related to what I'm doing with this podcast. I went to a Walk of Fame, uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame induction ceremony, which was on Hollywood and Sycamore, uh, for a guy named Jackie Wilson. Now, Jackie Wilson was a guy who um, basically made Motown happen as a record label. Barry Gordy wrote a bunch of hits for him. And then Barry Gordy used a lot of that money to form the Motown record label. And uh, he was one of the biggest um, artists that was affiliated with Motown, but never never on the on the official Motown label. He was on Brunswick. And yeah, um, Barry Gordy was there. Smokey Robinson was there. Um, Mary Wilson was there, a member of the Supremes. And it was just really cool getting to see those people in person. That was just so awesome, just being able to be so close to them. I didn't really get to meet a lot of them because... Uh, Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson went right back into their cars after it was over. And Mary Wilson stuck around for a little bit to sign autographs. But, you know, there was a bunch of people hounding just to even get to have just five seconds with her as far as getting a selfie with her or, you know, getting something signed. You know, but I did get to meet Barry Gordy's uh, niece and Johnny Bristol's daughter. Um, she was very nice to me and she even took a video of me spitting a bunch of random Motown facts off the top of my head and she did post them on their uh you know on her instagram story and that was just so cool of her to do that and yeah so um that was really cool and uh i hope you guys enjoyed my last interview episode of my podcast there might be another one coming up soon but i'll let you guys know when that one will actually happen but i think the next one might be a little bit shorter um than than the, the last one i did but anyways i hope you guys really enjoyed the andy paley interview episode because i sure did it was so different from a lot of my other podcast episodes and it was just so cool just getting and being able to talk to him and just really nerd out a lot of that classic music with him and get some really cool behind the scenes stories and brian wilson and phil Spector and just that whole thing that you know he was such a big he was such a big part 
of their lives as far as uh, music is concerned. It was just so so cool getting to getting us you know a, a, a good perspective on both those people you know from someone who worked closely with them. I mean I've, I've never, I mean I met Brian Wilson briefly and I never met Phil Spector, but man, this guy knew pretty much all of them, and that was so cool getting to talk about that. And yeah, so um, that was really cool. And uh, yeah, so I'll let you guys know when the next interview episode will happen. And uh, let's get on with the show. And also, I'm confident that I'll be able to have uh, both him and Tom Kenny the next time I have him on my podcast. Because I definitely want to have him on again. Because that was just such a great conversation the last time we talked. And I know it's going to be really, really good the next time I have him on with Tom Kenny. And yeah, I think that'll be awesome. You know, and also... uh, I have some people interested in doing the 60s show. Um, I'm currently rounding up the band right now, and I'm rounding up the artists for the night. I'll let you guys know once the set list for that show is finalized and when I have all the artists finalized for all the songs. I think it would be really good. So, yeah, I'll definitely keep you guys posted about that. But anyways, um, let's get to this week's song, shall we? Um, now, some of you out there, just by listening to this podcast, some of you... Um, I haven't done a rock song in a long time, like a really, really good, solid rock song. Um, and some of you out there might listen to this podcast, and you might think that as far as 60s music is concerned, I'm more into sort of the pop and the R&B and the not-so-heavy rock stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that that might be true to a certain extent, but there are some rock songs from the 60s I fucking love because they are just so awesome and just so incredibly well done and just so you know balls to the wall just grip roaringly loud but they're but they're just so good and uh, today you know we're gonna the song i'm gonna be doing this week for my podcast is just a great example of one of those songs and uh you know it's so what's so interesting about this song is that you know it came about at a time when you know music was starting to get way more heavy and way more psychedelic and music was just you know the music was being divided into the really sugary bubblegum pop music to the really heavy balls to the wall psychedelic rock. And, uh, you know, honestly, this particular song I'm going to be talking about today really falls into the balls to the wall, like really heavy rock. And uh, this song is just so fantastic. And just, and trust me, and this is also one of those songs that I guarantee you, you're going to know this one because. I mean, this is a song I'm pretty sure most people are familiar with. I mean, it's been used in hundreds of TV shows and movies and commercials. You know, it just, this song really lived a life of its own for quite a long time. And it's a song that I'm pretty sure you're going to be familiar with. And if you're not, then, man, I would be surprised. I mean, because you definitely live the shelter life if you don't know this song. You know, so but anyways, uh, this song came out in May of 1968. It's by a band called Steppenwolf. It's other than Born to be Wild. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Holy mackerel, that song kicks ass. Damn, that song is good. I mean, everything about it. I mean, just that introduction alone is just absolutely incredible. And we got to get into what makes a song so good 
both musically and lyrically. Next week, we'll talk about the history behind this band, Steppenwolf. But first, let's talk about the song's music first. Okay, so I think it should be obvious as to what makes this song so awesome and that it's just so kick-ass. It's just how incredible the intro of this song is. I mean, what I love about it is just how powerful the opening riff is and how that split-second drum fill in the very beginning of the song is just so iconic in that bass line that is also very funky. And interestingly enough, you can tell that the bass player isn't using a pick and instead he is using his fingers, which isn't typical for most songs in the heavy rock or punk genre because most of the time those bass players use picks and it definitely gives the song a very R&B soul feel since most R&B bass players use their fingers to play bass instead of using a pick and also one thing I will say about the song is just how incredible the mix of the song is I mean everything about it regarding the song's mix sounds crystal clear and there's a ton of punch and a ton of just a lot of a lot of lot of different like frequencies that are all kind of being balanced in the song and it just sounds incredible. I mean, literally what was so cool about this song as far as the production and mixing is concerned is that if you didn't know the song was written and originally recorded in late nineteen sixty seven, you would have automatically assumed that it was recorded yesterday in Pro Tools using a computer versus fifty years ago using a tape machine because this record does not sound dated at all as far as the recording is concerned. I mean, some songs from this era, you can obviously tell they're recording it using a tape machine and not a computer, and you can tell that it was recorded using pretty old, outdated technology, but whatever kind of mixing board they were using for the song and the mics they were using for this track and the recording studio the song was recorded in just made this record sound just as fresh and brand new as it was when it first came out in 1968 and I really do think that this particular song as far as the mix is concerned especially when you listen to the stereo mix I think this song could really stand head and shoulders with the big you know uh, pro tools you know rock mixes that you hear with a lot of songs from bands like the 1975 today I mean it just it has that punch and it has all those different frequencies that are all getting bounced out and it just sounds so good that it just doesn't sound old it sounds fresh and brand new. That's just how amazing the production and mix for the song is concerned. And this is also one of the most exciting songs to listen to, and it's a perfect song to listen to when you're doing a workout regimen at a gym because it's so driving and it can push anybody to do a serious workout. And also, as far as the, uh, the track's chord progression is concerned, the song is a classic example of a great parallel major, parallel minor situation <laughs> where the guy that wrote it used a major chord as the root chord for uh, this whole song, and in this case it would be E major, but then all the other chords in the song are in the parallel minor key to the major chord that is used in the beginning of the song. That, that's basically the, the first chord that you hear, which is E major. You know, that's the, song, that's the way the song starts out in the beginning. So to explain to exactly what it, what I mean to you and as far as parallel major, parallel minor, in third grade terms, so that way you know exactly what I'm talking about because you might be listening to this and you might not have a clue as to what, it even, what I'm even talking about. Um, the song starts out with the key of E major and the first chord you hear is E major. I mean, it's obvious. But then once you kind of get into the song a little bit, once you kind of get into the pre-chorus, and you get into the chorus, um, you'll start to notice that 
um, the song uses chords that are not in E major, but in E minor, such as D major and G major and A, and A major. And also, the other really cool part about this song is that the main central riff in this track, it, it goes, it does a D major and then it goes to like, you know, uh, you know, D flat to D and then E does this really cool sort of power chord, you know, switch that is just so cool. And, you know, a lot of times with songs like this, a lot of rock songs use this very, you know, this very uh, use of just that parallel major, parallel minor, which has since become a standard harmonic technique for most rock songs. I mean, there's countless of songs, you know, in, in music history that use this I- the idea of parallel major, parallel minor, where the, the root chord is uh, is major and then the chords the rest of the chords of the song are from the minor key uh, the, the the parallel um, minor key of the major root chord of the song and uh, many songs that use this exact sort of harmonic technique include back in black by ACDC and many others I mean uh, this one this uh, one chord for the most most of the time be major but the other chords of the song, will be probably be in the parallel minor key to the major root chord used at the very beginning of the song and the chord that the song always comes back to. And there is one super cool, beefy, not-so-basic bitch chord that the guitar player uses in the song that actually makes it extremely... And also, um, this chord that he uses in the song, this chord that kind of gives a really nice break from sort of the repetitive sort of basic bitch chord changes that happen in the song, this particular chord became extremely popular after this guy from Washington has spent many years cutting his teeth playing in several bands in America um, before he decided to pack up his bags and move to England and then become huge in America once again once he built up a huge following over there in England, started using this specific chord in his songs so much that some players even went out and named the chord after him. And I hope you guys can pick up uh, by now, what the name of the guy in which I'm referring to, and I'm, of course I'm referring to Jimi Hendrix, and the chord that I'm referring to is the seven sharp nine chord, and the guitar player in the song uses it during the song's breakdown slash solo section of the song, and by the way, the name of the chord that he's specifically using is E seven sharp nine. That chord is definitely gives this song some harmonic flavor, as many of these rock songs tend to have basic bitch chord changes. And the coolness and the intensity of them using that chord makes this song sound even more badass. And also, that reminds me that this song has a couple of parts to it where the intensity builds and builds until the song climaxes in the breakdown bridge. And also, I love how the v- in the verses part, you know, uh, the song are done with the guitar, where the guitar player plays parts of the guitar part, just playing the low E string before going into that seven sharp nine chord as the organ you know, plays that, uh, plays, you know, another chord sort of contrasting that, and it just sounds so cool. I mean, that playing that low E string and then going back into that, you know, when the vocals cut out, you know, is just so cool. I mean, basically, he plays a low E string, and then when the, vo- when the singer comes in, and then, you know, he cuts out of that and plays the full-length chords once the lead vocals come back in. He gives our ears a break from you know, all of uh, the intense, you know, loudness and the intense beefiness of the song's arrangement as far as it being a heavy rock song is concerned. Also, uh, this is definitely one of the most organ-driven rock songs of the 60s. 
And really, when this song came out, organ became the instrument that was ultimately front and center, while most heavy rock songs, along with uh, the heavy distorted guitar, um, you know, that organ instrument became the number one most important part of most heavy rock bands, you know, along with the guitar. But really, before that, um, the organ was heavily used in R&B soul music. But when white musicians figured out what what this instrument was capable of and how it could be used to create really heavy and dense sounds and how it can make yeah, you can make the organ sound distorted and loud. They figured they might as well incorporate it into the heavy rock bands. I mean, before the 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 B three and the C three and the M three, all those organs are primarily being used in uh in you know an R and B soul music, but it wasn't really used to create that distortion, that bite as it as it as it was used in more of uh, the ro- the heavy rock songs like this one. And typically, the instrument of choice that they would use uh, for songs like this, as far as the organ is concerned, was the Hammond B3, M3, or C3. But the instrument that they were using in the song was actually none of those particular instruments as far as the organ is concerned. And we'll talk about that in part two of this two-part episode of this podcast. And also, one last thing before we move on with this uh, podcast and get to the song's lyrics, we have to talk about the singer lead vocals because if anybody is wondering what a rock singer's lead vocals would sound like listen to the song notice how there isn't one ounce of softness in his voice and there is such a ton of growl and bite and just raw and in-your-face energy with his lead vocal but the key thing to remember about his voice is that unlike a lot of rock singers today especially when you get into genres like different subgenres and metal the singer still has a ton of melodic power and his voice, and it, it isn't really screaming at all in this song. But this way, really, the beginning of that, this is really, this song marked the beginning of the masculine male rock vocals that was kickstarted with bands like The Doors, but this group followed right after them, actually. And also, one really cool part about this song is just how powerful that chorus is. I mean, literally, they just really put the pedal to the metal for that chorus. Notice how in the chorus, there is just it's just one phrase. Literally, it's just the title of the song, and then the or then the drummer comes in with those fills, and then you know the band just goes into this total breakdown section. You know after the after the first chorus, and they just go totally nuts. I mean, they do this twice, by the way, after uh, the second chorus too. I mean, man, that is just so cool. I mean, this song is just literally one of the most picture perfect heavy rock songs of that time period for sure. Moving on, let's talk about the song's lyrics because on the surface you might think that the song lyrically has some of the cheesiest lyrics on the planet that you might consider cliche, but if you kind of look past that, the song actually has some really cool interesting lyrics that are more deep in lyrical imagery than most rock songs. I mean, just the idea of heading out on the road and just looking for adventure and excitement is a concept that still resonates with a lot of people today. But in retrospect, the time the song was written in, it was a lot less risky back in the 60s to go on adventures on the road without anything bad happening to people to do that. Uh, do that. But today, it's definitely not like that. I mean, I'm sure you've heard horror stories in the news recently of people going on camping adventures via motorcycle or car and then going into the wilderness and not coming back home. Well, that didn't really happen that often back then as it does today, but there are people out there that will still be able to relate to the idea of just letting go of your life and just going on an adventure and making up as you go along, even though unfortunately it's not as safe to do that now as it was back then. Heck, about 50 plus years ago, people used to hitchhike to go somewhere if they did not have a car and nobody 
ever really died or got kidnapped or abducted from doing that back then. And if you don't know what hitchhiking is, it's a way of catching a ride to going somewhere by standing on a busy street corner and sticking your thumb out and waiting for one of the cars to stop and see if you can get a ride from, from them to wherever you're going. And now we just have Uber and Lyft to back then when those things did not exist and there was just regular taxis people used to hitchhike. But anyways, getting back to the song's lyrics, one of the coolest uses of descriptive language in the song is what you can call the song's pre-chorus. Is when he says, like a true nature's child, we were born and born to be wild. Now, obviously, this means that anybody that is an outdoorsy person, has an outdoorsy personality, loves and that loves camping is going out in the woods, probably has kind of a crazy personality, which isn't always true, but and it is in a lot of cases. And uh, yeah, that song definitely captures that spirit of just you know going you know going crazy when you just go out in the wilderness. But you know, um. But nowadays, you know, we do have cell phones and we can, you know, track people as to, you know, when they do do things like that. But even though a lot of times you can lose service when you go out in the wilderness. But also, I didn't give any of you picked. I don't know if any of you have picked this up by now, but uh, the song's usage of the phrase heavy metal, um, you know, and let me tell you something right now. When heavy rock was at its infancy, people weren't calling it heavy metal at all. In fact, um, people wouldn't start to call that genre of music heavy metal until many, many years later. So this song was more than likely the first time the phrase heavy metal was ever used in a rock song before it was even used to classify this brand new genre of music known as heavy rock at that time. But in this song, the phrase heavy metal is used to describe the periodic table of elements and how certain types of physical, actual metal in nature can cause thunder to strike in the wilderness. Now, how the heck this happens, I really don't know. I don't claim to be a scientist, but I'm sure there is some kind of logical explanation out there that explains as to why certain types of heavy metal can cause thunder. But in this particular song, that's what they are talking about. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, lyrics, yeah, you gotta go make it happen, take a world of love and brace, fire all, fire all your guns and once and explode the space. I mean, just that... You know, the energy of just, you know, going out there and just experiencing nature and just, you know, and also one thing that makes a song kind of appealing, you know, today is just how a lot of times I feel like people that, you know, are on social media a lot, sometimes they like to go on camping trips and just, you know, forget about, you know, civilization and just unplug from their phones and just get off the grid for a while and just experience nature and I feel like that's when people just can just go the craziest. And I feel like this particular song has some appeal to a lot of people today for people who like to do that because it's really all about just getting on your motorcycle or in, even in your car and just driving all the way out from, you know, uh, civilization as far as the city is concerned and just going into the wilderness and just, you know, forgetting about, you know, the city and everything and just fo in your own life and just focusing on being in nature and I feel like there's something to be said about that concept and how a lot of people still feel like doing that today and that's what the song really represents if you think about it. So that concludes part one of episode number 71 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams and if you liked my analysis on this week's song, you thought my thoughts on the arrangement of the song plus the chords, melody, and lyrics was cool and uh you know, you can uh, definitely reach out to me on via email at samltwilly.icloud.com. But 
I mean, I doubt that you haven't heard this song before. It's a huge song. You know, it was very, very big. You know, a, a lot a lot of people, you know, have heard this one. You know, it's one of the most well-known songs in the history of popular music. So I doubt it's a song that you don't know already. But just in case you don't and you liked my analysis of it, you never heard it before, you can email me at samltwilliaicloud.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. And uh, also, a couple of things are in the description of this episode of this podcast. One is the link to this week's song. And two is the link to the official Spotify playlist for this podcast. Now, unlike last week with the songs I talked about with Andy Paley, this song will be added to this, into, into this week's spot, to the official Spotify playlist for this podcast. And you can find that link to the official Spotify playlist for this podcast in the description of this episode of this podcast. And uh, also... We'd love if you can give that playlist a follow and let me know what you think of the songs in there. And that will, on there are going to be all the songs I've talked about on this show so far. So uh, hopefully, you know, you'll get a good idea for the type of music I talk about on this show. Um, if you have any suggestions for things uh, on our songs on my show that I haven't covered that you want me to cover next on my podcast, you can, you know, email me at samltwilliaicloud.com. But first, I suggest you listen to that playlist and then you'll get a better idea for the kind of songs I talk about on, on my show. And also, um, another cool thing in the description of this episode of this podcast is a link to my official Redbubble merch store for this podcast. Now, on there, you'll find this super cool logo that I came up with myself that I had somebody else design. It's the name, uh, it's basically uh, the name of my podcast on the bottom, but on top is the official, uh, the, the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode, and keep on trucking, tie-dye font. Now, I would love it if you could please go check that out and give me some feedback on so the logo and everything and let me know what you think of that. I mean, I you know put a lot of thought into uh, the logo and everything, and I got someone really, really good to design it. So if you have any ideas for, uh, you know, you know, as far as the prices for each item in the store and you want and you have any ideas for things I should do to adjust that or if you like uh, my store in general and you want to purchase something from it, please let me know by emailing me at samltwilliaicloud.com or please let me know if you have any ideas as to the price of each item in the store or the logo itself. But yeah, so also please leave me a review in the Apple Podcast app. I would really appreciate that if you're just checking this out for the first time through the app. You know, the more reviews I get, the more my show gets pushed in the new and northworthy section of iTunes. And yeah, also, um, you know, follow my show on Spotify and also, you know, leave a comment in the iHeartRadio page for this podcast. And I'll keep you guys updated when the set list for my 60s show on November 2nd, the Hotel Cafe from 10 o'clock to 1 at the second stage is final, the finalized and also the group band is finalized and all the artists for a night are also officially booked for that night as well. And uh, I'll let you know when I wind up having Andy Paley on again, this time with his uh, partner, Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob. But anyway, so I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Thank you for listening. Till next week, police! Keep things groovy. Bye. <laughs>